welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. So sparked in part by uh, something that Jonathan tweeted um, a a, a little while ago, uh, and also by the fact that Jonathan just submitted a grant a little while ago, uh, we decided that today it was going to be a good time to talk about grants. Um, So Jonathan, you want to start us off with uh, explaining where the our our hypothetical listener well no our very real listener but where our like (laughs) our hypothetical situation in the grant writing process we are right now set the stage for us yes so we're pretending uh uh, that you are someone who's decided you want to write a grant and you've decided money right you got to get the money and uh you've decided what kind of grant to write what what you're applying to nih nsf what mechanism um and those are all can be big questions and we're not going to talk about them. We're going to pretend that you have a blank, um, a blank document in front of you and you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to write the grant and we're going to start at that point. Uh, crack a beer. No, no, no. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, so one thing that I thought was really interesting, so I will put a link in the show notes to my tweet. Um, I I served on a a little faculty panel giving grant writing advice and, and we were instructed to bring with us one piece of advice. And I was having trouble narrowing it down because there's just so much to say. And so I tweeted what one piece of advice would you give early career researchers applying for grants? And first of all, academics are horrible at following directions. So so many people gave several pieces and not just one, which is fine. That's the whole problem. Um, and then, but then I was really, I, 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 well, I'm going to say I was surprised. Maybe I, I wasn't that surprised. The range of advice that people gave was, was huge. And, and there were some funny ones, but even leaving those aside, it was sort of like, you know, don't let it completely dominate your life. You know, make sure you're done three months early. Uh, you know, uh, um, play poker instead because it's easier to get money that way. I know that's a jokey one, but there, there's like a whole range of like mental encouragement and like really specific stuff about font size and big picture things. And so I, I guess one of my takeaways was that people have different ways of approaching grant writing. And also that, um, you know, different people need different different kinds of encouragement at different times. So I actually think most of the advice was kind of broadly correct, but a lot of it was probably wrong for any given moment for any given person. So you really have to, <laughs> have to kind of like, it's all right and it's all wrong. I know that's really not helpful. But I think a lot of it is about underst- having a bigger picture understanding of the process and then, and then kind of knowing what to listen to at each point. If that makes sense. So if you, if you kind of know where the where the boat is going, you can steer it around different obstacles, but you can't just start steering if you don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. So thanks. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're going to be here captaining our ship. Um, uh, so f- for some context, Jonathan has written lots of grants, gotten lots of grants, and served as a reviewer for... NIH and NSF or just NIH? Yep. Yeah. And yeah. And and some other, uh, so yeah, anyway, and and other agencies along the way. So has, so has a good bit of experience from both sides, both the asking for money and the handing out money, uh, perspectives. I have, uh, written a couple of grants and gotten one, um, and never reviewed. So you can't see me right now, but I am just sitting with my, uh, with my, my chin on my fists, staring intently at our Skype call, eager for Jonathan to tell me uh, <laughs> how to write grants. <laughs> well, 
you know, that was a great segue. So I, you know, the the first thing um, that we wanted to talk about today is is thinking about your audience, um, and I think that's important anytime we communicate. I mean, w- when Julie and I um, sit down to record a podcast, we think about our audience, which is which is you. Um, when I hi. send a tweet, I think of right hi. Uh, when, I, when I send a tweet, I think about who might be reading it. When I read a manuscript, uh, a paper, I think about who's reading it. And, and grants are no different. Um, but I think a lot of times it's easy for us to get the audience wrong. And so let me tell you a story about my first uh, my first big grant. So this is an NIH R01 that I I wrote you know, what five years ago or something. Um, and it was it was the first time I had submitted one, and I had this very clear. I had a couple of really clear um, pictures in mind as I was writing it. So, so one thing was that I had looked at the list of reviewers. So at NIH, this is called study section, uh, and it was going to LCOM, which is a language and communication study section. And I, I, I looked up the list of who the reviewers are, and I was thinking about them. And there was one person on there in particular, who I won't, I won't name, uh, but someone whose opinion I respected, who was an expert in some of the stuff I was talking about. So as I was writing the grant, I kept thinking, oh, what would what would so-and-so think about this sentence? Oh, they're not going to like it because they care about this other theoretical perspective. And so I really, not that I wrote the grant for that person, but I really wanted to make sure they were not going to like pick apart my, my arguments, right? Um, I also... I also really wrote it with a, a huge attention to detail and I I I had lots of time or made lots of time for it and so I re-read and reread and shared the grant with other people and got lots of feedback um and and just kind of like really tried to make sure everything was perfectly crafted and 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 you know the sentence structure was flowing and and all that. Uh and I and I got lots of positive comments on that grant. Uh, and I submitted it, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be amazing? I'm sure it won't happen, but what if I got my first, you know, my first submitted grant? Uh, and of course, I didn't. Uh, it got triage, which, which means it got a low a score in the lower half, wasn't discussed. And in retrospect, then, and now having reviewed a bunch of grants, um, I, it was exactly the wrong approach. Um, so let me uh, uh, then share some of my perspective as a reviewer, and then maybe we can talk about like how that's informed how I write grants now awesome. with the caveat that I am, you know, yes, I've written a few grants. I'm not an expert and I've gotten many fewer than I have applied for. And so you have to take all this advice with a grain of salt. So as a grant reviewer, you'll be shocked to know, Julia, that sometimes I do not get all of my grant reviews done weeks ahead of time. What? I know it's, I, it's shocking to anyone in academia that this wouldn't be done, done early. You don't ever, you don't ever review those grumpy though, right? Oh, I, um, I can I plead the fifth? Uh, <laughs> I, I try try not to. Um, you, you know, you're given a deadline, so okay, all your reviews have to be in by Tuesday night at midnight, uh, and then you know you get to the Friday or Saturday or Sunday or Monday, and all of a sudden you have you know more grants to read than you really have time to do, and so sometimes um, you might be as a reviewer, you might be in a little bit of a rush. Sometimes it might be late at night. Sometimes you try to review it during the day, but your children are are being loud and running around. And so either you're reviewing in the midst of chaos or you wait till late at night, but then you're you're older and you get tired uh, late at night and things like that. And so, you know, I've definitely um, uh, been in the position of reviewing a grant when I am not at my brightest and perkiest and most engaged. So that's 
keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is each study section, and I, you know, I know NIH the best, but I think this is true for lots of agencies. Um, each study section reviews a really broad range of grants. And so, um, yes, so I've, for example, served on LCOM as an ad hoc reviewer, which means I, I don't go every time, but I've been a couple of times. Um, and the grants that I get sent to review, very few of them are exactly what I do. So they all have to do with language and they have to do with cognition. And I know the general topics, but um, I don't know if there have been any where like it's exactly what I do and I know the literature like the back of my hand. Uh, the point is I really rely on the grant writer to sort of educate me a little bit about the big picture. I don't I can't just dive right into the details. I have to know why this thing is important and um what the problems are, what the challenges are and kind of a general sense of how they're going to address it. So the grants that dive right into details are really really hard for me to understand and I don't hold it against the um, the applicants morally. I mean, people should people can do what they want, but as a reviewer, I find it much harder to follow. and And if you find something hard to follow, it's hard to be really enthusiastic about it. So, so I think being on that side of it just really uh, kind of led to me being much more focused on big picture ideas and less on the little details. Yeah, yeah. That also. Um, um... You know, when I think about writing a grant, I I think about like, I need to have this brilliant idea that is innovative and has broader impact. And like, I'm trying to think of the cleverest experiment ever. Um, But it's it's a really good point that like, you could have the cleverest experiment ever, and it won't get funded if you aren't convincing your person who doesn't know this research area that it is so incredibly clever. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like the elevator pitch kind of idea that someone with very little background has to very quickly think, ah, yes, this is the perfect experiment to do and you're the team to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you, if you're, if it's too, if it's too esoteric or if you frame it in too, um, in too esoteric or detailed a way, they're not going to get it. Right. I don't know right. what a, what a good example is, but I mean, you have to sort of frame the bigger picture in a way that, that everyone reading your grant is going to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And not even like if it's esoteric in terms of like, like the topic area, but even if it's awesome, but you spend one additional paragraph talking about methodology or, you know, how this fits in with theory, but don't explain the context that it is appearing in so that somebody who isn't an expert in it can understand then like, Mm -hmm. right. Even, even if it's great, you know, there's, um, there is a ooh uh Francis Darwin is that his name there's a Francis Darwin quote um that is i'm going to re- i'm going to replace the word man with person here um in science the person goes not ah uh, no shoot i <laughs> <laughs> hang on hang on um it's it's hard to change a quote on the fly isn't it well, especially if and you look up the reference. Okay. Yeah, right. In science, here we go. It was Francis Darwin. In science, the credit goes to the person who convinces the world, not to the person to whom the idea first occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often use this quote when uh, when I'm like teaching writing and talking about scientific writing um, as a way of saying like, hey, just having an idea is not good enough. Um, and in fact, like having a brilliant idea is not good enough to get you a grant. You also have to convince your reviewer mm-hmm. that that it is a great idea. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think that also, you know, kind of helps inform like how you write the background, right? And so, or how even how you describe each experiment. And so as you're going through, you know, page after page, you know, I, I always think about this person who doesn't really know what I, um, my field very well. And so I have to get them excited, right? I have to explain why this thing is cool. Like, oh, we're using this technique. And, and, and to a certain audience, they might be um, not impressed because, because all 10 of us use the technique, but to the rest of the world, maybe it's like a really exciting novel thing. So you have to kind of, you know, don't take it for granted that people know this, right? Right. Um, so the other, I guess the other like big picture thing that that also leads to is, you know, and we're getting I, I maybe too much in the details of like presentation, but, um, but if you're writing for someone who is not an expert and is potentially a little bit tired and in a hurry, um, you know, do you want to pack the text as densely as you can uh, on the page uh, because you have page limits on grants. And so, you know, one, one perspective on grant writing, which I see pretty often is, you know, um, oh, the reviewers are going to get mad if I don't put in all the details, but I only have 12 pages. Therefore, I will cram as many details into 12 pages as I can so they can't like take off points. And so, you know, everything is super smushed together and the figures are all really small and uh, and and the there are no references they're all numbered references to save space and it's all about getting more words on the page and um and i guess some people like that as a reviewer i hate it as a reviewer i want to have space and i want to have see who your references are and i want to have nice figures that i don't have to squint to read i mean there have literally been figures where i, I print out my grants to read them i don't read them on the screen and i will uh, I, I, if I don't have a magnifying glass handy, there have been figures that I have not been able to read. Uh, and I'll tell you, if I can't actually read your figure, I'm not going to really be very impressed by it in your grant. So, so I think, you know, so I tend to try to have things actually be legible and, um, and structured with some white space and headings and make it easier for the reader to, to understand it. Um, and I, anyway, so I've, I feel like that has worked to my, advantage. Yeah, I um I remember uh I don't remember if it was a grant or my or like an early pre-tenure prospectus or what, but I gave it to um I gave it to a colleague to read and the and the one of the things that they said was having actual line breaks between paragraphs uh really comes off as confident. Hmm. And, and uh -huh. I think about that often that it's not just like jammed in. It's like, you know what? I got some room to breathe. I can stretch mm -hmm. my arms out. I can say what I need to say. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I, I, I really like that. There's a great quote, um, which I'll have to look up. Was it Mark Twain? I would have written a shorter letter if I had more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is true. It can take longer, right? To, to express the same idea in, in fewer words. But I think. Um, Anyway, it's usually possible. So this is where doing it at the last minute, if you're a grant writer, is is tricky and having some extra time to try to to craft this, especially early on in your grant writing career, is useful um, mm -hmm. because you do need to kind of be efficient with your with your space. Um, I mean, the other big point here, if I could kind of take a step back a little bit, I I sort of um, implicitly said something, but I want to make it explicit, um, which is in my view, uh, uh, well, 
in my view, and I think I'm right, <laughs> uh, your, your main audience is the reviewers reading the grant. And you might think that's obvious, but I don't think it, it often it, it or always is to people. So, so I hear people. Um, so in the NIH system, the grant goes to a study section. It gets assigned to a study section. It also gets assigned a program officer and the program officer works with the different institutes. So each institute will have several funding officers, program officers. So if I submit a grant and, and it gets assigned to the National Institute on Aging, NIA, uh, there will be an NIA program officer, PO, who's assigned to work with me on the grant. Um, and then it goes to a study section that has an SRO, scientific review officer, that kind of runs the study section meeting. Um, now, all of these terms, if if you're not used to them, are overwhelming. But once you write a couple of grants, they are less overwhelming. But why is this important? Um, you, If you think that your audience is NIA, you're like, I want to fund something that NIA likes. And you go to the NIA webpage and you say, oh, they prioritize funding X, Y, and Z. And that's what my grant is on. And you submit your grant being very confident that you've uh, met their mission. And then it goes to reviewers who who are not that. They didn't write that webpage. They have their own perspective. So you, you've kind of mistargeted it, right? You or I, I've seen grants where they spend a paragraph quoting from the um, institute, you know, goals for the next 15 years. And like, so sure, your grant should align with the goals of the funding agency, whatever it is. But um, that doesn't help you typically with the reviewers, or at least not given the metrics that are usually discussed. So the assumption is if I'm reviewing, if I'm on study section, I'm reviewing your grant, I'm not going to worry about um, how well you align with the overall mission, like to, to, to some degree, if it's, if it's totally off topic, of course it matters. But, um, you know, the funding decisions are not in the hands of the reviewers. So when you're actually getting reviewed, it's the people reading your grant and giving a score that matter. Now, later on, it could be that if you're a better or worse fit, that might, you know, that that has other implications. But your very first audience are these reviewers because if they give you an awesome score, you're you're set no matter what. And if they give you a horrible score, you're probably out of luck. Um, it, you know, middle scores you might have some wiggle room, but um, that's the first that's the first step on the on the journey. Yeah, that's actually that's really. Um, I, I think about uh, what you said about how um, when you have been a reviewer that the the. the the grants, the proposal that you are reviewing are like in the, your broad area of expertise. Like you study how people perceive spoken language and speech and brains, but the, the, the work that you're um, reviewing, like, could it be as far out of your area as like stuff about reading and like speech production and like those, those things, like it's, it's that that's fair game too. Right. Oh yes. Uh, definitely. So, yeah. And let me just make one other point just mm -hmm. before you finish, but also on some panels, there will be like, um, um, you know, you know, you're like the aging person or something. So mm -hmm. I do some aging work. And so there might be a very broad panel looking at something that has nothing to do with cognition, but somehow I got on there because of aging. And so I might be a second or third reviewer on a grant looking at nursing care for older adults or something like that. Mm -hmm. That is so useful to know. I mean, like I have vaguely heard people say that, you know, but, but when I have been writing, when I've written grants, I'm, I'm thinking about like, oh, well, if I get this one person who is like as close to the research that I do as humanly possible, 
they might take issue with the way that I have structured the nature of this debate in the literature or something, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. the odds of, 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 you know, that, that that's kind of the wrong set of concerns to be having probably. Yeah. So maybe by some dumb luck, you will actually get that person as a reviewer. I think it's mm-hmm. unlikely, like mm-hmm. you said, right. so don't hold me to it. But yeah, statistically you're more likely to get people who are not that person. Yeah. And that was exactly the opposite of how I was writing my grants. Right. Every day's a school day. <laughs> That's right. Well, this is why we have this podcast, Julia, right? <laughs> so we kind of talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, there's one other. So, so, I, so you should write for your reviewers. And we talked a little bit about that. Now, dare I move on to talking about what happens when you revise a grant? Oh, sure. So let's say you've, you've written your grant, you've targeted your reviewers as best you can, whatever that means for your funding agency. Uh, and then, uh, you get a, you get a score and you have to, you did not get funded. So you get uh, a resubmission. So NIH, you get one chance at resubmitting your grant and you've gotten now comments back, the, um, summary statement back from study section. And so, um, this will have a paragraph summarizing the discussion, assuming your grant was actually talked about, and then it will have individual comments from usually three reviewers. Uh, and so there'll be some text and some numeric scores and things like that. So my advice is, uh, first I'll tell you what not to do. So Julia, what you should not do is treat this as you would a manuscript, uh, which is to say, look at the list of suggestions, do them all, explain in a cover letter how you did them all, and then sit back and wait for your grant to be funded. That sounds um, like an interesting process. If if people want to learn more about how to do that process, is there a podcast episode they could listen to? <laughs> there is. Um, I don't know which number it is. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's number 30. <laughs> okay. Was that last okay, week? Wait, yeah. yeah. Wait, I shouldn't do that? No, you shouldn't do that. Oh, what should I do? Well, like, ask why you shouldn't do that. Oh, why shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, why shouldn't I do that, Jonathan? Well, there there are a couple of reasons, uh, but a big one is your grant may not go back to the same reviewers, and you might think this is crazy, um, but it's pretty common. So it, it's common for two reasons. Uh, even if you go back to the same study section, which is likely, uh, the reviewers on that meet for study section change. The standing members, that is the ones who have committed to a four-year term, say, um, may not be able to attend every meeting. And at every meeting of study section, there are also ad hoc people that are brought in um, because they have a particular expertise or, or because they just need more reviewers or whatever. So when I've reviewed, I've never been a standing member, but I've been an ad hoc reviewer just come in for one, one meeting of the study section. So that means if I reviewed a grant, and it, and they send it back in the next round. I, I'm no longer there, so I I couldn't I couldn't get it again as a reviewer. Or alternately, I've received grants that that someone else reviewed the first time. I'm seeing it for the first time now on the resubmission. And and so on the one hand, you know, people do reviewers try not to to bring up too much stuff that people tend not to bring up picky points that were not brought up in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, but different reviewers have different ideas. And I think um, many times I've seen things that a reviewer thought was a major issue that was not flagged in the first submission, flagged on a, a new submission. 
Sure. Um, and so, and, and I've done this myself as a reviewer. I feel bad doing it, but I think my job is to do the best that I possibly can to to give a scientific rating. Uh, and and if I think that a, a choice is really poor, I I kind of feel compelled to to vote on based on that or whatever. So I mean, so I feel bad doing that, but I also think that's what we're supposed to do as reviewers. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, you know, and so. So as a as a grant writer, I mean I yes, I do try to take comments to heart, but I don't I don't take it as a um you know with a manuscript it's a it's not a real contract, but there is a little bit more of a social contract I think at at you know depending on the journal, but sort of like hey, here are the changes we'd like to see. If you do that, probably your paper will eventually get accepted. Yeah, right. Um uh, and that's kind of the general expectation for for grants it is not that way at all. Uh, it's like here are some comments. It may strengthen your grant, um, but but who knows? Next time is is sort of also up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously, you want to address things that you think need to be addressed, but but you shouldn't sort of um, cling to that list for dear life. I think it's yeah. more of a gestalt. If people were generally excited about it, that's good. Um, I've written grants where the comments were not that critical but the scores were not very good and so i read that as a general lack of enthusiasm and i've actually made significant changes that, that were not asked for because i thought that i needed to get people excited you know so i, I kind of i kind of interpreted this as like uh i did a bad job of explaining my idea sure, um, sure. anyway so i think i think yes you should respond to your comments but again who's your audience this is another mismatch where you think your audience is those three people who read it the first time and actually, your audience might be three brand new people, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that would that would probably encourage you to write it differently if if you thought that way. Yeah, that's a great it's a great point. Um, wait, can I take us back a step? Mm-hmm. Which is about bef- before you turn it in. Um, in a perfect world, um, where the children aren't screaming and you had plenty of time, and you're not, I don't know, teaching in a pandemic and everything is complicated and all of that um you get it done ahead of time and uh who else reads it besides you (laughs) um well as many people as you as you can um i find that the people who have given me the most helpful comments are people who have served as grant reviewers Mm -hmm. and so they could be uh very close to my area of expertise or not um but people who have, have had the experience of having a stack of five or 10 grants and having read through them late at night, those are the people you want to look at your grant and kind yeah. of give you some, some feedback. Um, and I find that people who have not been reviewers are, are very helpful scientifically in terms of like thinking through the logic of the experiments, but are a little bit less helpful with like the strategic grant stuff. Sure. And, and it seems like it might be useful to have people who are maybe not in your area of expertise so that they can have that kind of like, I know about stuff that is related to this, but not exactly this, given that that's how the actual reviewers are likely to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, here's the other, um, so we're, we're, we're veering into other types of um, advice, but I, I think you can still kind of couch it under audience. So um, again, this is kind of NIH focused, but um, there's a, for NIH grants, there's a, a page of specific aims where you sort of lay out your big picture view and what you want to do and and that aims page is probably the most important part of well, not probably it is the most important part of your grant 
Um, if, if a reviewer reads your aims page and is really excited, um, that's going to set them up really well for reading the rest of your grant. And they may even overlook some like nitpicky things because they just, they're really sold on the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and conversely, if they read the aims page and they're really bored or grumpy already, um, then it's not going to bode well for the, the next 12 pages of your grant. Yeah, right. Um, now again, this is, um, you know, might differ by funding agency, but the other thing for NH grants is at study section, there's a, a room full of reviewers or, or now it's a, a, a zoom room full of reviewers. Um, three of them have read your grant carefully and made comments, but now those three are going to present it to the rest of the room. And what do the other people do? They typically will pull up the grant and read the specific aims and kind of, you know, page through the other stuff, but they don't have time to read it in detail. So if you, if you want to, you know, so who's your audience for the aims page, it's actually everyone in the room because that's all they have time to read in addition to your reviewers. So that's your chance to kind of make a, a very succinct focused argument that's very broad and it's one page. And so asking someone to read a 12 or 13 page grant is a little bit of a big favor to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully you have some mentors and colleagues who will do that for you, but asking someone to look at an aims page, is only one page and that's less of a favor. So I think it's um, especially helpful to like get the aims done extra early, get lots of feedback on the aims, uh, from many people cause it's less of a favor. And then mm-hmm. that can help you shape the grant, right? Cause you've kind of talked about the big picture and like, maybe had some hints about the specific experiments. And um, if that's not good, you probably don't want to spend a lot of time on the, on the next 12 pages, but if that seems fine, then you can sort of move on to the other parts. So it, yeah. it also seems like it might be nice to do that, like really early, like figure out what your aims are and then share them because that way you can get feedback on not just like the, the um, you know, how you're presenting it, but also the content. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you do that before you have written everything else, that seems like like that could be really helpful. Yeah. Because I, I worry if you're like, hey, I wrote this whole grant. Tell me what you think. By the yeah. way, it's due next week. Right. You know, if they're like, <laughs> yeah. it's actually not good and you should start like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot less you can do if you wait to get feedback till it's almost due. Yeah. So in, in a perfect world, um, you know, start way, way early. And, and the other thing. Uh, so let's pretend your aims are perfect and your ideas are perfect and your writing is very good. As you're writing the grant, a question you might have is like, well, um, and this is this is more important at like different stages of your career than others, right? But like uh, for a lot of grants, preliminary data figures in heavily, a- mm-hmm. and that's a very broad category that can mean lots of different things. And sometimes it's like just demonstrating that a phenomena exists. Sometimes it's showing feasibility that like you like someone can do it. Sometimes it's showing feasibility that you can do it at your institution. Um, there's lots of ways to use it, but you know, it's hard to know sometimes ahead of time what the most useful preliminary data is. Mm -hmm. And I often find the most clarity comes basically when I've written the grant and I'm done. And I think, oh, I wish I had a thing that showed blah. Um, So if if I was now collecting new data can take a long time. So if I was really on top of things and I had the grant written three months early, well, that gives me time to actually collect meaningful data. I have not been good with that. So I, I, I struggle there, but, but you dear listener, maybe you're more organized than I am. Um, and if by being early, you can also give yourself a chance to kind of collect that data. This also gets back to who's your audience and getting feedback on getting some input onto what is the most useful 
preliminary data to have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So it seems like one of the things that I'm hearing you say is that you have learned a lot about how to get better at writing grants by reviewing grants. So that's the, uh, uh, how do I, mm, I'm going to say, how do I do that? And by, by I, I mean, all of our listeners, I don't know mm-hmm. that I have time to do that right now, but I, but I, but I maybe someday, how do you, how do you do that? How do you get to be a reviewer? Well, I think, you know, it depends on, um, career stage and, and some of it's luck. Uh, and I don't, as, as a person who's not recruiting reviewers, I don't really know. Um, I can say that, um, so for me, I, I had heard the advice that it was helpful to be a grant reviewer. I emailed the SRO, um, two different SROs at two different study sections, or maybe it was three. Um, SRO and sent the, stands for uh, scientific review officer, the person right. who's in charge of putting together the uh, panel for study section. And I, vol- I sent them my CV and I said, I'd love to be a reviewer. And I volunteered and that never got me anywhere. Um, although I've, I've heard that suggested, so you can try it. Um, but typically, you know, typically that is, you know, well, not typically that's only going to be for faculty members and historically, uh, faculty members who are PIs who have received some funding already, like an R01. Um, there's been a move to have more diversity, so that's not a strict requirement, but, um, anyway, as a, as a non PI, um, I think it's unlikely that that will work. Uh, but, but as you move uh, you know, forward in your career, there can be opportunities that way. Um, one thing that a lot of institutions do is do sort of like mock study sections or, or kind of practice review panels. Mm. Um, so I've seen that for faculty grants. I've seen that for like postdoc grants, seen it for pre-doctoral fellowships. Uh, and so I think this is a great thing for institutions to organize, but I think you could also like organize this among your peers. So if you have a bunch of, if you have a bunch of graduate students who are applying for uh, NSF graduate research fellowships, like get together and swap grants and each read several grants and kind of go through them and try to score them based on the, the published criteria, you know, or if you're, you know, if you're able to get a faculty member in to, to kind of also guide you through this, you could, but I think really it's just reading a bunch of grants that are not in your area and trying to evaluate them is really helpful. Yeah. So, so it seems, it seems like part of it is just reading the actual documents, which you can casually do with your friends, but it also seems like some of it, some of that like insider knowledge, um, is going to be like how the other people who aren't reading the whole thing, but are just reading your specific aims, like Mm -hmm. the nature of the questions they're asking, or like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if, I don't know if like the program officer does anything in the room to stimulate conversation or move things along or like whatever those things are. But it also seems like uh, there's gotta be some like, secret knowledge that goes beyond just having read lots of applications. Oh, sure. I think, I think being part of the discussions is, is really valuable. And also, you know, there's lots of nonverbal cues, right? So I can say, you know, uh, um, Julia's grant was good. Or I can say, oh, Julia's grant was good. Um, right. And, and so if, if you're just sort of like, if you're not there in the room, you can kind of miss that. <laughs> you can miss the tenor of what's, of, of what the summary statement reflects. Um, and so I don't, yeah, I don't know how to, how to fully do that without being there. Right. I mean, I would just say, um, look for, look for opportunities to do reviewing of any grants you can, or any applications you can, even if it's not the specific mechanism you want to do, and then talk to people who've been in there. I mean, I will say, uh, so I, from time to time, I serve on like, you know, panels for students where we talk about grants and it is funny, like all the people who have 
I get a sense that all of us on the panel who have done a lot of grant reviewing are talking about one language and we all know what we're talking about, but everyone who hasn't done it, it like, it doesn't really translate if you haven't done it. So I think it's, it's hard to really convey this without, without doing it, which, which, which is, which is a shame. I don't know how to do it better. Yeah, um, I mean, this, this like, this seems literally like a case of the rich getting rich, richer where people who mm-hmm. have like, you know, been doing this successfully long enough to get to be in the room, know how to speak the secret language and thereby, you know, perpetuate the status quo and all the existing inequities in the current system. I'm, I'm sure that's true. Um, and I think that's why, you know, at the very least trying to, um, talk about that and kind of share, you know, Mm -hmm. anyway, hopefully share my experience as being a reviewer and, and what I can sort of, uh, uh, distill from that process, hopefully is helpful. I mean, I guess the other, um, I feel, I feel like, sorry, let me just, I feel like many of our conversations are, you know, us being like, okay, let's help everyone learn how to do it. And then we get into it and I'm just like, the system is broken. We got to start over just telling telling people the things we know isn't enough. And I, I really, I really, I'm really feeling that with this one. Yeah. Um, Yes. Well, Sorry, I anyway, you to go. yeah, <laughs> that's okay. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't fix that right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So another, another perspective on this is that it, it is, um, I, I don't have any foolproof advice on how to get experience as a grant reviewer for any mechanism. I think trying to, trying to look out for opportunities and um, kind of uh, advertise your availability uh, can help. But I also think, um, you know, uh, you can also get experience as a grant writer. And I, I, I think, you know, it's a little bit different, but it's kind of related in that, you know, you can think about grants and you can read about grants and you can listen to me and Julia talk about grants, you know, all day long. But actually just submitting a grant and getting feedback on it is probably going to be the most uh, educational thing you can do. So yes, it is helpful to have another perspective of like having reviewed grants, but but don't wait to until you have perfect knowledge to do this because actually no one really, um, a lot of us, I was gonna say no one knows what they're doing. I'll just speak for myself. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm just um, doing the best that I can at every step of the way, and I really learned a lot um, even before I was reviewing grants just from going through the process of submitting one. Uh, and at least for me, the first. The first big grant, so the first R01 was by far the hardest because everything was the first time, and um, subsequent grants have gotten much easier. And I guess I guess I like this because that is something that is in your control, right? So you can't control um, directly who reviews your grant, and you can't control directly whether you get experience reviewing grants. But but to some degree, you have control over submitting a grant. And so you know, I guess I guess a, as a concrete step, something something you can do is try to submit a grant. Mm-hmm. Another thing you can do is, uh, you know, if you work in a lab um, of a of a principal investigator who has grants or who is submitting grants, is you can ask to read them. Um, in theory, uh, my grants are are shared with my lab, and I think several of them are on a shared drive. But to be honest, I don't think my last couple made it to the shared drive because I forgot, and I don't know that people are actively reading them. But I'm happy to share them. Um, and so, so if you, if you, you know, if you're in a lab, you work on a topic, you know, something about that topic, uh, asking to see your PI's grants, or if you are a PI asking to see your colleagues grants, uh, is a really valuable thing to do. And that can, 
you know, that can be useful. I mean, everyone has a different style. So I think just looking some, at someone's grant that was or wasn't funded may give you a template of what to do or maybe, or, or not at all, but just to get some idea of the kind of difference in strategies that people, people have. Mm-hmm. If someone's applied for like a hundred grants and never gotten any, then I would say they shouldn't be your only example. But but grants are so hard to get. It's not like not getting a grant means it was bad. There are lots of really good grants that don't get funded. Yeah. Are, it would be so nice if there were like repositories or things, you know, if there's like just an OSF page that's like, hey, these are all grants that have been, um, you know, that have gotten, that have been successful in LCOM or something, you know, mm-hmm. like a particular mm-hmm. area so that people could see those. Um, do you think PI, I know that sometimes PIs are reluctant to share grant successful grant proposals while the grant is in progress because of course it has the ideas for everything they're going to do and they're they don't want to get spooked 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 <laughs> <laughs> either one <laughs> it's halloween time uh-huh. um but after the period of the grant has ended do you think people would be resistant to sharing those i i, I think it doesn't hurt to ask mm-hmm. um a few well, people well, yeah go ahead but i mean like even above asking like i want to i want to put out a call of like hey if you've ever gotten an lcom grant funded add it to the OSF page and make mm-hmm. it accessible for everyone because even, you know, even like asking is a, is a hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I mean, I would be happy to share my, my grants. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think many people anecdotally, um, many people are open to, um, if they're contacted one-on-one by, by someone, either a colleague or a trainee, I think many people are quite willing to share grants. Uh, I think a lo- I think many people are also hesitant to sort of like put it on OSF. I mean, I don't know that that's true, but I just, the tenor I get is like emailing someone and saying, please keep this confidential, but you can read it. Mm-hmm. Um, people are more comfortable with that than sort of posting it. Do you think that's because people are like, I mean, if the period of the grant has ended, it's not like they're going to take my science, but it's like, I have the knowledge about how to get a grant funded and I don't want other people. Well, to that. I, mean, I think, think it's, like, I think it's. I mean, okay, why would I, 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 I'll try not to mind read. Why would I be hesitant to post my grant? Um, and I've already said that I would, uh, uh, so you can hold me to that. But what, why would I be nervous? Well, we proposed stuff in there that we didn't do because mm-hmm. stuff takes longer than we thought. And so if someone held up the grant to what we did, they might, they might say, might give me a hard time for not doing it. Oh. Um, there might be ideas in there that we didn't do and we're going to do still because stuff takes longer. And so even though the, the period of the grant is over, oh, I had that one nugget of an idea that I still want to do someday. And so I still want to do it, right? I don't want someone to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, or someone, I might just be a little embarrassed that I, I that was my you know, one of my early grants from five years ago. And, and I put stuff in there that seemed silly and I'm just, you know, it's like sharing your code or something, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a kind of a personal thing that do I want, do I want Julia to see, you know, how I described my power analysis in 2015 and, Oh, I don't know. I don't like how I did it or whatever. You know what I mean? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of those together, you know, I, I would, I mean, I would do it cause I think it's, I believe in sharing stuff. And to me that trumps the, um, my my concerns, but I would still feel a little bit weird. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I hadn't thought about I hadn't thought about some of those concerns. Um, I, I'm particularly curious about the first one you said. The like, if I said I was going to do this stuff in the grant, and then we didn't actually do it, mm-hmm. like who would, uh, like who would think less of you for that? I mean, like if they actually took the time to like read the proposal, look at everything you've published, and say, oh yeah, you didn't actually do specific aim three or something. Is that mm-hmm. like who, who would who are Whose opinion are hypothetical you worried about? 
<laughs> hypothetically. Um, I don't know. You know, I think it's like, um, well, well, so first of all, let's step back a minute for NIH grants. Um, um, typically you have quite a lot of flexibility in what research you actually do, um, uh, which has pros and cons to it, but, but really, um, uh, most of most of the investigators I know do not view their grants as a contract. We said we we're going to run X number of people and Y number of studies to study this thing because by the time you submit the grant and get the grant and then start doing the work, you you may have learned something new that changes your mind or maybe something takes longer and so on. So it's sort of like, um, you know, conceptually, these are the ideas you should pursue, but if some of the details change, that's okay. Uh, for some, for other funding mechanisms, I think that's not true, and you're really expected to do like pretty close to what you said. So that's a different consideration. I'm talking about um, really specifically NIH stuff here. Um, I and I guess you know when I wrote the grant, I intended to do it, so I would just be embarrassed that that all of our podcast listeners would know that I didn't do you know you know all of AIM three never happened or or whatever you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, would would that actually like hurt my career? I don't I don't know that it would. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, have deviations from from what their grant said, but most of those are private. So, you know, you yeah. know, we don't really it's not really part of the, the general discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like I mean, given that given that one of the things we are keen to do with this podcast is share information that otherwise is behind closed doors. Um, uh, trying to come up with ways to get people to share this so that uh, you know, to, to get rid of the barrier of, Hey, can I please see your grant, even though you don't mm-hmm. know who I am, but I think it might be useful to me. Um, you know, but just setting up a OSF page and, and sharing our stuff and encouraging others to do the same seems like, uh, something we should maybe do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. I just committed us to doing a thing. I know. <laughs> and you, and I know that you believe in it because I know you're very busy. And so you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't have said it if you didn't think it was a really good idea. Really good idea. I agree. I agree. Um, well, 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 after after we're done today, Julia, let's plan for five minutes. Okay. You you know I have I have a very hard time saying no to things that are good ideas. So you I'm, you know I, I'm game. <laughs> I'm not the conference you wanted us to organize. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so you know, one thing that would be really helpful. There, there's so much to say about grants, and and in some ways, you can tell from. Um, our discussion today, it can be hard to organize it into really clear topics because a lot of things are interrelated, right? Mm-hmm. So like the the mechanism you apply to determines the type of review panel you get and, and what's emphasized in the grant. And so like as one example, NSF grants have a, a, a section on broader impacts that are, um, you know, uh, weighed really heavily in the grant review. And NIH grants typically do not, and not that you can't have broader impacts, but it's just a different kind of scoring metric. So um, all these, all the things we're talking about, you know, it's been a little bit NIH focused, but I hope the, you know, the broader um, themes are still applicable, but all this stuff is intertwined. So uh, this is a very long way of saying, we'd love to have your feedback and questions on other grant related things to talk about. So I think um, I have lots and lots to say, but I also don't want to ramble. And so if you have any specific questions, please let us know. You can fill out the contact form on our website, which is juiceandsqueeze.net. There's a little button to click for contact. We love your comments anyway. We'd love your questions about grants and manuscripts, which we talked about recently. And if you want some stickers, 
we'll send you some stickers and a postcard. Um, before we close, I have two. Well, two, I have two more things to say, Julia. Um, the first is a little bit of follow up from a previous episode where I advertised um, David Tennant's podcast, and <gasps> and we in, we invited him to be a guest on on our podcast. And uh, guess what? What? I haven't heard. I haven't heard anything. Okay. I know, David. Please, please get in touch. I know. We, David, use the contact button on our website, juiceandsqueeze.net. Um, so yeah, I know. I didn't hear anything yet, but I'm still. I'm holding out hope. I like um, your yeti in there. That's sweet. At, at least, at least, I'll, you know, send me your address, David. I'll send you some some postcards. Um, and then the other thing, I just wanted to actually mention a uh, a real science thing we're doing in my lab um, that doesn't have anything to do with grants. We are um, looking at the effect of face masks on communication. Um, and this is, you know, you and I are both interested in listening effort, Julia, and um, face masks probably have lots of ways in which they are affecting uh, listening effort and speaking effort. Uh, and so we've developed a very short survey uh, just to ask people about their experiences talking and listening with a face mask on. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes which are at juiceandsqueeze.net slash 31. And if any of you, dear listeners, are interested in taking it or forwarding it to people you know, we would love to have a really broad sample, both geographically and, and in background and and everything to, to kind of get as, as good a sense of a handle on this as we can. Um, so if you'd like to help us out, please fill that out. And if not, then then don't. How's that for ending on a positive note? <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want, I'm thinking if the IRB is listening, I'm not twisting anyone's arm. Everyone's yeah, free to no, do it or not, perfect. you know, uh-huh. you know, yeah. All right. That's, that's all I have then. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, gang. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Take care. Bye.